You're listening to an OTB AM podcast. You can watch the show or listen live every weekday morning from 7.45 AM. Subscribe to the OTB AM podcast stream for more stuff just like this. Very good morning. You're welcome along to Monday morning's OTB AM. We're here with you all the way until about half past nine. And we're going to cover pretty much everything that's happened in the world of sport over the course of the weekend, which it turns out wasn't that much. It's um, Tommy was making a point earlier on that this is a, a weekend off in advance of one of the best sporting weeks of the year. Mm. I ended up watching more sport as a weekend than I usually do, though. It, you, you kind of get carried away. It's like you, you start to go on a quest to actually find sport, and then suddenly TG Carr has been on for four days, and you're there in your own filth watching TG Carr. And that's just what happens over and that's the course of the That's how life ends. And that's how life ends. Yeah. And I think uh, many people out there will actually uh, be familiar with that idea that you start Saturday afternoon, you're like, what am I going to do this weekend without any sport? And then suddenly it's Sunday evening. But you didn't watch any FA Cup, did you? No, I did not watch any FA Cup. I, I, I don't think anybody did. Like, was it the worst FA Cup weekend? weekend I'm talking Saturday, Sunday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. When Park Allen scored to make it 2-1? That was good. That was the highlight. Was but like three even, minutes, two minutes of... Ooh. Even Paul Dragaman's success is getting boring at this stage. He's been... The, I know. He's been, like, okay, against Manchester City, it was kind of cool. And, and seeing Pep Guardiola going up to him and congratulating him afterwards, that was kind of cool. Yeah. So, it's not boring. Park Allen for Ireland? He, he reckons he could do a job. Well, I, I, I don't see why not. Like, uh, everybody who's succeeding and who's able to, to play above themselves at a decent level. Uh, and, like, like, for a weird, um, in a weird situation here, he's actually kind of proved that consistently that he can play above himself, which you never really get in the cup run. You get, like, one moment here or there. But this has happened time and time again, where you're like, actually, maybe this guy actually is at the level that he sometimes plays above himself, too. Maybe his actual level is a bit higher than we all suspect it is. Mm. So you're saying, yeah, get him in there. I, I, like, give, him, give him a like, chance. Let's give him a chance. Why not? What do you think? I think that uh, given that we're trolling anybody who has like, the sniff of an Irish passport, mm. let's go with the lad from Carlo who scored some goals in the cup. Come on. Literally, this guy, he's not only Irish, he's not even touching the sea. He's that much of a, a midlander, if you can use that phrase. Get him in, get him in the squad. Yeah, OK. Um, and why was it such a crap weekend of sport? No Premier League? No Six Nations? It was, no an ama- football. It, was, it was an amazing football weekend. An it was an amazing weekend of sport. It had hurling in League of Ireland, and mm-hmm. that's pretty much all you watch, and the club football semi-finals. Well, exactly. Actually, now that you say it, it was a pretty good weekend. So, if you were trying to pick a weekend to uh, launch the league, the weekend where it's an FA Cup weekend and no one cares about the Premier League for a week is exactly the weekend to do it. It was perfect. It was they get hammered all the time for all the missteps they make. But that was a bit of genius. Like FA Cup weekend, FA Cup. Yeah, we'll go there. Total genius. It's like they couldn't have timed it any better. I went to see Bowes on Friday night. They were up against Finn Harps. The first time I ever went to a League of Ireland game. And, uh, Where did you go? Where did I go? Yeah. I went to Daily Mount. Yeah. So here's a picture. Hot take from my first League of Ireland game. Daniel Mondro. Mondroyu is how I was pronouncing it in my head, but I'm sure that somebody, somebody will be in touch to correct me on that one. As far as I could uh, gather, new signing for uh, Bowes. Came from Brighton. Uh, had been in with the under-20s at Brighton and uh, has been in and around the talks when it comes to Stephen Kenny's under-21 squad. All right. Excellent player. It's, uh, I, like, I, I, I do find, like, just speaking to some people after the game and people who might have gone regularly to games, people are very apologetic about the League of Ireland, and maybe, maybe there's good reason for it, but I, re- I really enjoyed myself. I had a really good evening. Like, it, it went a lot quicker than a lot of Premier League games you'll watch on television because, ultimately... I'm not sure what you think. Does the standard actually become irrelevant after a period of time? Do you just get used to what you're watching and everything else 
is actually far more significant than the actual standard of what you're watching. Well, if like, I'm competitive, that's, that's well, the first Exactly, part. exactly. Uh, standard does matter after a period of time, though, because like, you know, you, you're only willing to go with something as long as you think it's not a waste of your time. And I'm not saying that it, you're getting there at all mm. with the well, league. Uh, the main thing, the, like, what did you think of, this, of the stadium and what did you think of the facilities? Well, the, there is, like, uh, there's a charm to what the Elliemont is. Obviously, it needs to be redeveloped. Like, there's no question about that. It, it does, but there, there is, uh, a sort, like, maybe if you go regularly, the, the charm sort of starts to, to fade out a small bit. And you is there a charm? Were you not shocked? You've been no, there? I've been there before. Yeah, but for not for a game. For um, we did a video. Yeah, no, it didn't. Like, were you shocked that day? The first time you saw it, I was. I was more shocked on Friday night for sure because I didn't actually notice the the how dilapidated the the terrace was behind the goal on the Finsborough end was. Uh, like all the flags are kind of laid out there, and it looks a bit better than it does ordinarily. And you've got a, a block over a hanging, and then you've got the old stand across the way, which kind of two sort of haunting tunnels in the middle of us, which for me kind of, but then again, like I'm the type of guy who would go to see uh, the GDR and see the history of communism in Europe. And there's a, there's a charm to that for me. Uh, so like in a very similar way. You're hiding you're, yourself as a tourist, a horrible tourist here, but go on. Well, not really as a horrible tourist. The League of Ireland oh, go on, look at all these dubs. And I'm, not, I'm not making that comparison whatsoever, but there is sort of, there is sort of for me... And their football. Why a, is no one picking it up? There's an authenticity to that, no? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think that's it. There is, there is an authenticity. It's unfortunate that um, the facilities that people have to go and consume their sport in are so crap, because it is like... I was definitely shocked at how dilapidated the whole thing got. And when there's no point in spending any money on it now, because they know it's going to be redone, and... I can see they're in that kind of interregnum where you're like, okay, well, let's not waste any money. Let's just get this serviceable and move on to when this is like a gleaming edifice and a, um, you know, some kind of monument to Irish football. But it's true. The, the bad news is that, uh, well, the good news is that there's a Dublin derby happening this day next week. The bad news is that it's already a sellout. So uh, my second trip to Delhi Mount is going to have to wait for a little while longer, I think. Um, there were a couple of other things that happened at the weekend. Um, Racing was good at the weekend. Um, there's a very famous horse called Tiger Roll who we've been involved with in the past and we all kind of had a look at it and we're like, 25 to 1 Tiger Roll, it's a six horse race. I mean, that's a bit ridiculous, isn't it? And everybody looked at it and looked at it and did nothing about it and then Tiger Roll pissed it home. Yeah, like if I was looking at uh, that start list, I would be thinking to myself, God, how Tiger Roll has fallen without knowing a single thing about how Tiger Roll has done over the last year or two. Just saying 25 to 1, God, oh, how the mighty have fallen. Yeah. And it turns out that uh, the mighty are fallen no more. No, the mighty are like roaring back and now all of a sudden there's like a lot of uh, emotional hope that things are going to turn around in time for Cheltenham. Moral of the story is bet all your money on a horse's name you recognise. And at uh, 25 to 1. Especially when you see now 25 to 1 price. Um, yeah, so we'll obviously be beginning our build up to Cheltenham on the show uh, sooner rather than later. Uh, and we'll have a very special daily Cheltenham show that we'll be um, telling you about coming your way in just a little while as well. One of the other things that we wanted to talk about was um, the Jim McConnelly situation, back playing club football, obviously. Uh, the Dubs hurling boss, Matty Kenny, obviously Dublin played his home county of Galway the weekend. And they're probably heading into that going, ooh, Galway drew a Carlo last week, what's going to happen here? But um, Galway were back to. Well, something akin to their best anyway. And afterwards, uh, our reporter Stephen Doyle caught up with Matty Kenny, and here he is asking him the question about Dermot Connolly. Have a look. You can shoot this down if you want as well. Um, look, obviously, there was a lot of talk the last couple of weeks about Dermot Connolly coming back to Dublin, being in training, that kind of thing. Was he ever on your radar at all to maybe try and get him in with the hurling panel? No, he wasn't. Uh, you know, because. Uh, 
he, I, I haven't spoken to Jim. No, he, he's uh, uh, no dancers. I haven't spoken. And if he wasn't going to play football this year, do you think you'd be interested in maybe giving him a call and try and get him involved? I, I don't think so. I'm quite happy with the squad I have at the moment. You know, we have a lot of talent and quality in our squad, so we've picked our squad for the league, and this is what we're moving forward with. All right, that's fair enough. That's the end of that. Yeah, I shot that, that, shot that one down straight away. Fair play for asking the question. He's playing uh, league football again with Vincent at the weekend. It's, we're now in a situation where if Dean Connolly laces a pair of boots, he's going back to the dubs, which may simply not be the case. Maybe he's just going to have a great season with St. Vincent's, and that'll be that. And we'll, over, we'll try and overcomplicate things, but maybe there's no story to, to overcomplicate here. He just loves his club. And maybe, like, do you make them, do you make Vincent's immediately uh, favourite for next year's Ireland <laughs> for the 2020? Potentially, you've got uh, Dear McConnelly focusing and all of that. Like, I, I wonder, is there a situation where you're a footballer and you just love playing football, and maybe the constraints of being an intercounty footballer don't particularly suit you? Yeah, especially if you've had a really successful intercounty career. I think if you if you'd never won, or if you'd been a part of a team who'd been close and beaten and close and beaten and close and beaten, then it would be harder to walk away. But it's probably a bit easier to step away if you know. You've reached all the, the heights that you wanted to reach. Yeah, the mountain have the mountain has been scaled yeah. from a, from a Connolly perspective. You're for just sure. doing it again to like rub people's nose in it. I think so. I think so. Like the the one mountain that hasn't been scaled, I guess, is actually taking Vincent's all the way to North Ireland. So oh, they have, yeah. That's uh, with Connolly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got, like there was um, was the Ireland final scored an outrageous goal, like oh, ah, yes, the semi final. Yes. Yes. The final was yeah. Yes, I forgot about that. It was like one of the most. He's done everything. One of the most athletically amazing goals that you're ever going to see. Do you remember it? Uh, I, I do. I don't remember if it was in an All-Ireland final or not. Yeah, it was. Well, they, they hammered somebody. Was it, well, was it was one of the Mayo teams? I think it was one of the Mayo Castle teams. Castlebar. Wasn't it when uh, Richie Feeney got black-carded early on yeah. in the final? Yes, that was, was the final. They, so they won two. I'm pretty sure they won two. I, I, I Tommy will confirm this for us, but... Uh, yeah. yeah, well, I can't remember if I've actually forgotten that. Or maybe 1-1 one, one beaten in the final. Uh, and the other one was... Well, the other thing I was going to suggest as well is, you know, that old footballer of the year gong that everybody says he oh, yeah. so deserves. yeah. Would that be enough to motivate somebody to go back and play with their county? Is it too late this season now to get it? Can you get it? Like, will everyone be like, oh, if you didn't even play in the first round of the league, you can't give me all the play of the year. Well, no. is that a Jim Gavin impression you're doing there? No, because we haven't played in the first two rounds of the league. Do you get into the double team? 2007-2014, they're two, two-time All-Ireland club winners, so there's, uh, you know, there are no worlds for him left to conquer. Yeah, I, I was wrong. Basically, I accept that. Tommy also said, and I was 76, but... You know, history doesn't record that if whether or not Tim McConnell is better than it probably was. Uh, all right, well, we tell you what's coming up on the show this morning. Plenty coming your way. Uh, going to talk about the Colin Kaepernick situation with Mike Carlson around about uh, ten past nine this morning. Going to talk rugby with Alan Quinlan. Not great news coming from um, the injury perspective. Chris Farrell has uh, been withdrawn after eighteen minutes of the game at the weekend with yeah, it says a precaution with the bang in the knee. So fingers crossed, it was just a little bit sore, and they were like, okay, off you come. Uh, no point in wasting um, or taking any risk with that. Uh, the hurling review of the weekend, we're going to hear uh, from all of our reporters around the grounds, including Tommy Walsh and then Guidor. We'll talk with Eamon McGee about a fairly epic journey that Guidor have been on and um, one that certainly captured the imagination of the entire country after the tragedy that has happened uh, in Guidor just recently, kind of putting the football into a bit of perspective, but also giving the football far more meaning and... Um, yeah, look, he's just a, always a great guy to talk to, so we'll talk to him around about that. And uh, now it's time for the morning newspapers. So I'm going to start with 
Uh, Brian Cody's on the front. The pictures of Brian Cody are the ones that uh, are illuminating the sports pages this morning for various reasons. But here's uh, Limerick Emerge with Reputation Enhanced. This is um, Sean Moran's um, piece at the front of the paper, which is kind of talking about the context of the weekend. Uh, Zola pleads for patience with Sari's vision. Former player refutes idea manager too stubborn to adapt game plan for England. Yeah, I mean, look, the decision for Chelsea is pretty straightforward. Do we want the same cut and thrust managerial turnover and assume that we've bought the right players or do we want somebody who comes in and stays with the club for three or four seasons and there's a little bit of building I mean there's been no sign that that's what Chelsea wants but that might be the right right thing for them at this point Um, so back page here champions rumble on this is the Times Ireland uh, edition Carney will continue after the World Cup that's uh, Rob Carney will continue his rugby career after the World Cup as contract talks between the IRFU and the Leinster and Ireland fullback intensify however the 32 year old also admitted that the idea of following Sean O'Brien abroad is a temptation so um, yeah I mean a couple of years in South France would be nice wouldn't it well of course it would you'd be pretty happy to go and like and again Rob Carney he's like nine caps short of 100 Ireland caps Despite like some awful injury problems, um, which all of which he has bounced back from. Well, you should point out here that London Irish, funnily enough, is not located in the south of France. No, but like I'm saying, if you're Rob Carney, you're like, yeah, London, great, a lot of traffic, very expensive, Brexit, south of France, nice, sunny, good food. I mean, come on, let's go. Like it's if, I, if only Biarritz weren't crap anymore, we could all go and live in Biarritz. I'm surprised it's actually a decision for rugby players anymore, especially players of that quality that it's like oh will I actually play out my last couple of years in a Leinster or Munster or whatever jersey or should I go and live somewhere beautiful and actually broaden my horizons and uh, well I'm not saying Leinster and Munster aren't beautiful places but uh, in a more beautiful place in somewhere different Shade Throne the Racing Post Tiger Purring it's uh, Tiger Roll uh, doing great stuff uh, um, at Navin I think it was wasn't it Uh, yesterday yeah um, and then Nichols aiming to build on his Super Saturday, so Paul Nichols was um, apparently pretty good on uh, Saturday. So, uh, And then heavyweight contest had to go the distance. Chelsea versus Manchester United tonight on BBC One. There will be uh, many millions of people watching that. Um, the front page from The Examiner, Hyde and Peak. Is there even more to come from Lethal Limerick this year? We'll talk about this a little bit later on. Um, they, beat, they beat Kilkenny. The tabloid headlines are... Far more damning of Kilkenny. It's like uh, you know, cat skin. It's a great picture on the front from the racing saddle sore jockey Stephen Connor parts company with Orpen Wells, while Timmy Love and Fiddler of Dooney also fall at the last fence at Punchestown's point-to-point meeting yesterday. All were unscathed in their falls, which is uh, great to see. It's a great picture. And then there you go, Shane Dowling celebrates scoring Limerick's first goal against Kilkenny. Shane Dowling was pretty good yesterday. Uh, treaty rise to the occasion, and. Um, Eamon Sweeney, Kilkenny lucky to be in Leinster because they wouldn't make the top three in Munster. Correct. I mean, yeah. To be fair, you could What about all those years where, like, Kilkenny didn't, didn't even have a game in Leinster and were still killing every Munster team they come up against? Yeah, when they had the best team of all time. Yeah, and... That helps. Well, let, let's Do just they have the best team of all time at the moment? No. Let's wait and see. Let's wait and see. Let's, let's ride off TJ Reid and... Uh, that group of players who weren't playing yesterday which included Richie Hogan Colin and Fenley. Colin Fenley and there's a couple more let's just write them off because they've done nothing that deserves respect I mean Kilkenny not in the top three in Munster let's wait and see on a one-off day in Nolan Park you're telling me they wouldn't in a championship match with the full team they wouldn't back themselves against Tip oh they'd certainly back themselves or Cork or Clare or Waterford 
or Limerick. But they'd certainly back themselves because they are from Kilkenny. They are people who believe that they. I think they're be winning. I think, they're, I think they're winning four out of those five games and getting a draw. On the other really? One. Yeah. Okay, but sorry, but all the games are in Nolan Park. Well, all the home games and the away games. Let's see what happens with the away games. Yeah, I would expect everybody home and away to beat each other. Limerick emerged reputation enhanced. Oh, I did that one. There you go. Not doing that twice. Back page of the Herald is all I need to lift it again. Solskjaer can close in on long-term United deals, says the headlines here. It's Chelsea against Manchester United at 7.30. And uh, Jim Lowe on options as Connolly in action. So let's just mention of Dimmer Connolly, who kicked four points from play in his first competitive appearance. He came on as a substitute in Vincent's Dublin Senior Football Championship semi, or since the the, uh, the Championship semi-final lost to St. Jude's, I should say. And he's also, uh, Conor McEwan's piece here speaks about some of the injury worries that Jim Gavin has. So Eric Lowndes is expected to miss the game, John Small is suspended. So the squad depth will really be tested from a Dublin perspective this weekend against Mayo. Uh, the back page of the Mirror this morning is Sarri Fall. Struggling Chelsea boss will stick with style of play, even if it costs him his job at the bridge. And uh, Bryce Katz torn limb from limbs there you go. the back uh, from there. there. that means they're getting hammered and they were beaten they were well beaten but like let's, I think we should just all calm down it's February hmm. the ground is heavy like I take your point as in look at the warning signs we've had before namely this time two years ago when we were saying so are Tip going to win two, three, four, five in a row Galway oh, last year all the way up to like the middle of the summer sure they haven't even got going yet exactly that being said Galway played terrible on an All-Ireland final and almost managed to, to rob a draw so, like, Galway's form, I would say, actually kind of maintained a decent bit throughout the year. They just had an off day on the All-Ireland final. Now, that being said, the, the whole uh, product that you show about Galway last year is who was the one team other than Limerick who really managed to give uh, Galway a game last year? It was Kilkenny. Mm. Kilkenny could have beaten them on the first day and uh, how different things could have been on that occasion if they'd won Leinster last year. So, like, I, I, part of me agrees with you that we're getting, we're, we've always been quite quick to rejoice in the fall of Brian Cody's Kilkenny. But is there not a chipping away of... Speak uh, for yourself, go on. Like, I mean, torn limb from limb, treaty skin, Cody's cats. Like, we always want to see the, the, the greatest teams show a bit of mortality. And whenever that's happened with Kilkenny over the years, there's, there's always been a rush to say, well, this Kilkenny team is finished. Like, I do wonder if it's actually just a slow chipping away of that aura is, is what we've seen over the last couple of years, rather than any immediate downfall. Which I think, which I think is how most empires do go down, right? Uh, yeah, but uh, but like, I mean, you did make, you made a very good point earlier. It was the greatest team of all time that they had. Like, it, a lot of those players have gone. It no, couldn't have stayed no, on forever. No, so they're, now they're just a normal. Now they're just a normal team. But like, the notion that they're not in the top three teams in Munster, I mean, who, which of the flaky teams in Munster are you going to back to be Kilkenny when it comes down to the wire? Well, in the the Munster hurling championship, I, well, it's certainly back in Limerick at the moment. In the Munster Championship, I'd be back in Cork at the moment. As, as weird as that well, sounds, since, Munster since Champions Cork. Be playing in the and I'd, I'd, right. I would be backing Claire or Tip as well. Claire? Yeah. Okay. Now, I know Claire, I haven't exactly. That's why I tipped Galway to win the All Ireland. On the basis of the 2013 All Ireland final? Is that, is that like. Not the basis of what they showed last year, Claire. Now, I know they've kind of uh, sunk to their old habits at the weekend which is you know conceding 1-5 from play and still losing a match because they just fouled left right and centre uh, which is a humongous problem for, many, for anybody who might have backed Clare at the start of the year to win the All-Irelands but I still, I still think they've got a, a, an ability in them to take down somebody like Kenny. as you say it's like it's a debate it, the fact that it's a debate kind of proves the point doesn't it that they may not finish in the top three in Munster like you can make a case for all of the Munster teams beating them like of course it's Kilkenny you can make a case for Kilkenny beating anybody as well but 
like th that's the nature of the debate, isn't it? Well, I just think that there's, um, I think there's right off Kilkenny at this stage when they don't have their best players and there's the actual reality of the situation that we've seen bad Kilkenny teams be competitive and this one probably won't be a bad Kilkenny team. It's going to be a reasonable Kilkenny team when they get their players fit. Now, some of those players have chronic injury situations and they might not be back to where they were in the past, but there's also the possibility that they will be. Back page of the star this morning is don't sack Sarri. He'll get it right soon, pleads Zola. Uh, Roger says card luck for Scott. You've got McGee hitting back at Brady and Treaty skins Cody's cats, uh, says the hurling headline there. At the back page of the Irish Daily Mail is no panic yet. Treaty cruise past cats, but Cody is calm. And also an exclusive here. Cardiff ready to sue Salah agent over transfer fee. That is an exclusive. The Mail are the only newspaper with that story. Oh wait, to back of the sun. Call the cops on Salah deal. An exclusive, huge exclusive, says Neil Ashton. Cardiff demand a full inquiry. Uh, and Brian is not worried yet, says the Gordon Manning headline on Limerick 218, Kilkenny 15 points. And also Zidane maps out what he wants to be Chelsea boss. So Zinedine Zidane wants a Chelsea job if they match his terms and ambition. Uh, he's keen to turn the Blues into contenders again at home and abroad with a £200 million transfer kitty. That's what he wants if he's going to become Chelsea boss. Back page of the Guardian then this morning, it's Donald McRae speaking with Ryan Giggs. I was yeah. trying... Uh, what, this is, this is a, Donald McRae like, always gets to the heart of these big interviews. What's going to happen here? I, w I was trying to find something to help me get through the day, the week, the year. Uh, the main focus, there is no mention of, uh, uh, of any uh, advertising campaign uh, surrounding the Giggs family. There is, there is interesting stuff about kind of transitioning from his playing days into his post-playing days, seeing a psychologist and things like that to try and cope with that. And also the loneliness of being a manager. And he doesn't really kind of specify that being an international manager is a more lonely existence than being a, a club manager. And he says that the, the most lonely moment is just before kickoff, as in, so the players have gone out to do the warm up and you're in the dressing room on your own, that the loneliness kind of hits him there, which I thought was quite an interesting point. I would have thought that the loneliness would hit you when you're like, oh God, all the players have gone back to the clubs. I do nothing, well, I do nothing in, in a kind of hands on basis for the next couple of weeks. But uh, he says it's just uh, in, in the hour or so leading up to kickoff, when they're out warming up and he's in the dressing room, that's when he, when he gets those pangs. Yeah. Is it, um, do you, I mean, is it loneliness or is it like an inability to make any difference at that point that you previously, when you were a player, that was the hour where you were talking yourself into, I'm Ryan Giggs, I'm going to get the ball in the halfway line, dribble past everybody and smack it into the top corner for one of the most iconic goals of all time. And I have that at any point in the game, I can do that. Whereas now it's like... Well, I can make some substitutions, I can shout a lot, I can wave around, mm. I can have a go at their manager, I can like wave to the crowd and try and get something going. It's that completely, it's that inability to, to make any difference. Yeah, maybe that's... Your, your time in the spotlight is over. Uh, maybe that's the, the emotion he's feeling and he just can't tell the difference between that and loneliness. Uh, like there has to be an issue for somebody as talented as Ryan Giggs, especially if you're managing at, on an international level. When ultimately, a Wales team is never going to be uh, an unbelievable team. At the moment, he's got himself a very, very, very good squad uh, from a, a Welsh perspective. And when you see players that sometimes are inevitably going to let you down uh, time after time because they're they're not as good as Ryan Giggs was, then there must be a frustration to that as well as the kind of helplessness. Um, the fact that they didn't mention the ad campaign is a bit weird, isn't it? Yeah. So, or is, it, or is it actually just the right thing to do? It's like, I'm going to go ahead with my life. This thing has happened. It happened in the past. I'm moving on. You're cashing in, and I'm going to rise above that. Okay. Somehow. So, just to clarify, this interview took place as part of a different media event. So, 
this was not. This is not an exclusive interview. Okay. From, from what I can gather, this is uh, about uh, the Laureus Sport for Good supported programs. Yeah. So the Laureus thing is on tonight, right? It's that massive gala dinner in Monaco that, like, a bunch of the world's top sports people actually show up to. So Federer goes. You would have seen. Um, I think LeBron had been there in the past. Uh, like, it's the the crown de Mont, Rodney of um, the world's. Um, sporting and they give loads of money to charity so I mean I suspect that that might have been a one-on-one no? It might be like that it, they're like because I mean they want to get it to the Guardian but I, I, my point is that if it's like around a commercial event would there not be an instruction to not ask about certain things or an agreement? You, you choose to agree to that or not mm. you know and also he chooses to address it or not True like, If you're Ryan Giggs do you address it? Probably not Probably not, but it's there, and it's it's going to continue to be there, right? Whether or not that's fair, whether or not that's fair is um, a point we can come back to. It probably isn't fair, but uh, at some point, I don't know. At some point, he, maybe he just never escapes the stigma. But I saw Ryan Giggs um, do a talk once, and he was really good. He was like really interesting, uh, self-possessed, self-aware self-reflective, you know, understood that there were gaps in his ability as a manager because he'd come through so quickly. And uh, this was after the Man United and before he'd got the um, Wales gig. So I mean, he just got the Wales gig and kind of hadn't, hadn't put down any, any matches yet. But um, just seemed like a really interesting, intelligent, clever guy who was also a little bit shy and a little bit thoughtful. Mm. And not the kind of combination that you would have known from Ryan Giggs as the um, temporary Man United manager or as the footballer. And certainly not the tabloid cut-out figure from the incident that happened in his family. Well, I'd actually, yeah, I definitely get that sense as well from reading this interview that perhaps the personality of Ryan Giggs actually isn't suited to the cut and thrust of modern club football. That he, the thoughtful side of him comes through with a little bit of time in an international job, for example, and he gets time, a bit of one-on-one time with the players to actually get inside their minds, chat to them, kind of turn them in and, and help them grow as players. And he, ma- he makes a statement at the end that, uh, I can't remember who he quotes, but he says that uh, the lower down the divisions you go, it's more about coaching. The higher up the divisions you go, it's more about management. And he says at the end of it, I really like the management side of things, as if justifying to himself that I deserve to be at the top level and it's definitely management that I'm interested in. Whereas I get the sense from the personality traits that he shows that he's actually more of a coach. Maybe. I certainly seem to enjoy the coach at Man United, all right. Um, is that interview uh, worth having a look at you done? Uh, just one more. It's just a Daily Telegraph. It's time to deliver, says the front page of the Telegraph Sports section. Sanchez worried by failure to justify half a million pound a week's salary and Solskjaer says forward needs to regain his form. It's only 250 grand net after, you know, got to pay tax that 50% rate. You're earning that much. But that, that, that justifies everything. Exactly. Okay, so uh, we got tweeted this by a guy called Niall Maples. Uh, I'm asking all my friends and or anyone involved with um, a bunch of different people to retweet this post, asking Soccer AM to include this belter in hashtag goals of the week, hashtag top bins. So it's uh, in Gormanston. Um, and here we go. Watch the top right-hand corner. Boom. Oh. It's futsal, under eights. Here we go again. Top bins. Oh, you can't teach techers like that. That's Power Garment in the cup. <laughs> there was only me in, in the whole stadium who knew it was going in, says Armand. And it's like, only that kid and, <laughs> and the poor girl who d- ducked her head. Or maybe actually rightly ducked her head. The Gormanstown's DVG. 
Yeah, uh, this league, the league is shadow boxing and hurting this year with no relegation. Kilkenny are missing a fair few players, says James Keohan. And uh, Pierce Wise says, we'll take Conley here in Cork. For the footballers or the hurlers? Cody won the league in Ireland double six times. That's a pretty good record. Yeah, did no relegation. Did it last year. I don't know, you kind of, if you forget that it factors into the, like, challenge, 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 challenge. No? Ultimately, yeah, of course, of course, it has a factor. It, it is shadow boxing. Like there, there is, there, you have to admit that when you make the case about Kilkenny, that there are bigger days ahead. And there's only nobody in Ireland knows that more than Brian Cody. That this really is just shadow boxing. There is no peril involved. And even if there was peril involved, teams have won the All Ireland from one B. It, w- it would have been fine if you got relegated. Like it's, yeah. I, I would even argue that the relegation wasn't even that big a deal in the first place. If, if you're in those top eight counties. So, is it actually that different to previous years? I'm not so sure, but you know what it still is? It still is the league, and it, there is still only so much you can read into it. I just think that some of the options that Limerick have started to bring to the table on yesterday's evidence are, have brought them to another level again this year. All right, let's move on, because um, the Ireland Club football semi-finals were on at the weekend, and it's going to be Curfin against Dr. Croaks on St. Patrick's Day for the Ireland title. But um, one of the stories, really, of the entire club season has been Guidor's progress to almost being able to pip that brilliant Carfin team in an All-Ireland semi-final. Eamon McGee is on the line to uh, talk to us a bit about um, that journey that they've been on. Eamon, good morning to you. How are you doing? Morning, Jer. How are you? Yeah, um, you're, you're back to normal life and reality this morning. How does that feel? Uh, yeah, it's a, bit of a, it's a bit of a downer. A bit of a downer now when you, when you don't have something like the Dulcer Championship or the, the All-Ireland semi-final to look forward to now, but that's just... Uh, the way life goes, you know, we just have to get on with it and hopefully push on for it next year. You said you watched the game back yesterday. What what in particular struck you, apart from the fact that obviously Carfin were really good? Yeah, well, you know, when coming off the field on on Saturday, we we thought we kind of we threw it away. We had we had the opportunity to win it, but what what struck me was that just the fact that Carfin just made us make the mistakes we'd have prided ourselves on our decision making, making the right decisions at the right time, and. The Carfin goals both came from from us giving the ball away, and we fouled them silly. But that's just Carfin just going at us and just putting us under pressure. And I just n- never realised even in the build up, like we we always knew like they're in the Ireland semi final, they're a brilliant team. But it's only when you sit back and look at them that uh, they were able just to press the button and and uh, up with a few gears. Yeah, I found it very interesting that you actually did sit down and watch the game yesterday so soon after it. Is that something you've always done and was it a difficult process? No, it, it's it's not something, like I haven't watched, you'll be happy to hear this one, is that I haven't watched the 2014 final properly and then when Kerry beat us. So it's, it's not something I, I would like to do, but it's, I just needed it just to get that closure on it because I've left it and, you know, the 2014 county, like with Donegal, still hurts. Maybe that's part of the reason is I haven't sat down and, and watched the whole game through and reasons why we never we, we never pushed on and I just wanted to just put it to bed and just, just get on with the whole thing there. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of a team like Carfin, what surprised you about them on the field as opposed to the next day when you're watching or, or uh, I don't know, it's the day after, whatever, but tell me, like when you're playing them, were they even better than you had assessed in the build-up when you were doing research on them? Yeah, because we, we did an awful lot of work on kickouts and an awful lot of work on, you know, shutting them down for the kickouts, and they were able to just adapt to the pressure. They were able to adapt to whatever we threw at them. They were able to get the ball away, and 
you know, the physicality stood out. It's just looking at them on the build-up, we thought, lovely footballers, but something that we weren't prepared for was their physicality and the fact that they were able just to turn us over so much and, you know, we we just weren't, weren't prepared for it. Is part of that just the experience they have of being here over the last number of years and kind of building slowly to this? I, th- I think that's a big part of it. They've been about this stage for a long time. Um, you know, once we got within two points, I would have liked to see us get level with them to see how they'd respond. But there, there's a part of me that just knows that they had another gear just to go at it and say, just pull away from us again. So, And that's all they do experience. They've, they've been about that level for a long time. They've top quality players. And, you know, this is what we should be talking about, is talking about Cara Finland, just how bloody good they are. Tell me, when you talk about um, getting back to it again next year, like... It's such a remarkable thing to come out of a county and then to come out of a province that like, it may, it may never happen for this group of players again. It may never happen for your club that you reach this far again. Are you prepared for that? Or is that something that you kind of need to put in the back of your mind and just go, well, look, it doesn't really matter. The next training session is the one that starts our journey to try and get there and again next year. No, I'm, I'm definitely prepared for that. You know, we're, kinda, we're smart enough now to know we've been about long enough to know that like the likes of myself and Neil and Kevin Cass and a few of the older boys might possibly never get to that stage again or never get an opportunity like that again. But it, it still means you just have to try, just have to knuckle down and just go at it again. And you know, hopefully there'll be another two or three players that come in, you know, underage, under underage structures in Guido are good. There's a good conveyor belt there, and hopefully, you know, they'll add to the team. And again, it's another year experience, so it might stand us. But you know, we have to be realistic too that there's a lot of good teams not alone in Donegal but in Ulster and you know the fact is we, we might not get there again so but it doesn't mean we won't we won't try What was Saturday evening like Eamon because obviously there is the, the come down off a fairly disappointing defeat like that but I presume there's also the appreciation for everything that had gone through the, the previous weeks what you've been through and also the sporting achievement of actually getting through to an All-Ireland semi-final Well you went to Brian Cox didn't you? Yeah I went to Brian Cox now, so I was chatting about quasars and black holes and uh, you know it wasn't until they, they rode down from down from Dublin that they kind of sunk in that you lost uh, you lost an All-Ireland semi-final um, and that that's disappointing I think a few of the lads had a, a few beers and you know it's probably not going to going to hit them till today and the fact is you lost an All-Ireland semi-final you got to within two points of, of Carfin uh, you put it up to Carfin and it's, it's just disappointing and it won't be for another few weeks it might be for a week it might be for two weeks that you know you appreciate what you've done the journey we've been on and you know the achievements because I've said this before that we won in like winning a county title was my was my achievement and, and that was a big achievement the main thing was the main priority was just to steady the ship wait for this crop of players to come through and possibly win a county, county title and now that we have the county title we have an Ulster and you know you, you just you just want to put on, so that that'll that'll hit home in a few weeks. But possibly it's just a disappointment stage for the next few days. I mean, I think the other thing that happened um, that really transformed your club's journey was obviously the terrible tragedy that happened in January. There was a, a brilliant piece that Michael Foley did recently where he talked about your own relationship with Michal Rorty and mm-hmm. just the closeness that you had. We have this terrible thing in, in sport where whenever an accident happens, we go, oh, look, it really puts sport and the, the fact that it's just a game in, into context. But that's actually bollocks. What, what it does is it proves that we really need sport to help us get through 
the terrible things that happen in real life and that without it, real life, you know, wouldn't actually be in any way bearable. Um, how, how do you guys put context on everything that happened and how difficult was it to continue just playing, but also then how important was it that you did continue playing? I, I don't think it was difficult to continue playing. Like, it was, because that's what we do. We're, we're GA footballers and that's a big part of our life. So, if we didn't do that, you know, it would have been, it would have just added to the tragedy that, you know, what I did find from it was, you know, just the, the way we pulled together and the conversations we had that, you know, upfront conversations we met on the, the Saturday after the funeral. Um, you know, you, you would have had honest conversations about how you felt and the, just the way, the way we pulled together. And it was just a, a testament to the, to the team and to the, to the way, as you say, sport pulls, pulls you, pulls you together. And, and what I did was just after the week was, well, like, why do we take it, something like that to happen for the, the GA club to pull together or for a sports club to pull together? Like, if we were operating on that level all the time, it would be so much better. We just need something terrible to happen for us just to, to go like that. But it's that's where we can be, and that's what a club can do all the time. But it just has to take something bad for it to happen, you know? Yeah. Do you mean, like, um, just talking openly about how you feel? Is it as simple as that? Like, is that the type of thing that could transform a GAA club or any sports club or any just relationships? Not, not, not even that. Like, it's just the way that all the volunteers, you know, and some clubs you get, you know, infighting and people reluctant to take jobs. But when something like that happens, you know, people just roll in behind the whole club. And all the volunteers are out. Everybody's helping, you know. The Clonelly Club, who would have been uh, affected by the the accident too, they sent out a tweet on the Monday morning after it happened and says, "Listen, everybody's welcome. Chat and a cup of tea." And it was just something as simple as that. There, like, and I think that a GA club should become not just about sports, but a kind of social hub for the community, and something like that should be available all the time and not in times of a dire need. Yeah. So, in a in a way, this has had a transformative impact. And not because you reached an Ireland club semi-final, but because you've come through that tragedy as a group. Yeah, and, and you know, hopefully it makes the group stronger. Um, you know, we've we've learned a lot about each other, and like we've, you know, when you when you see a club, a club mate of yours, when you see them struggling, when you see them them sad, and you reach out and you put the hand on the shoulder and you say it's going to be all right, that that brings brings you together and it brings the friendship together but it also brings the team together and you know it has it just has brought the club that that we were closer yeah yeah like you said it you've obviously learned a lot about one another throughout this terrible time but I presume there's also a case of an individual basis there about you learning a bit more about yourself and going through this as a series of individuals has that been the case as well Eamon I'd say as I learned as an individual yeah definitely definitely on you know um I chatted to Mick Foley about it. That when things happen, we're at a stage now where you know I have three kids, and you know you chat about mortality. When you see a young man die, and you see a friend die, um, you know it, it hits home, and you have these kind of these thoughts. You know what happens if something if someone close to you passed away, or how do you cope? And you know on, on an individual level, it has affected me very much. So, but. You know, it's, that's all part of it. Everybody goes through the the whole process of you know, you know, we're we're in a big boy world now, um, and you know, you just have to learn from it and move on with it. 
Yeah. I mean, we should talk briefly about the um, the fallout from David Brady's tweet as well. Um, obviously, Kevin Cassidy got back, and that that turned it into a, a very big story. Um, I'm going to read for people who are just listening to this. Um, they will, when the dust settles and time passes, in a quiet moment ask, did they pass up the opportunity of a lifetime? Was there anything they could have done extra? Posting multiple piss-ups won't win you in Ireland, and that's not winning... Not that's not what winning is about. That was um, the tweet in the aftermath of the game, around about twenty yeah. past eight on on Saturday evening. Um, today, in, in your piece in the Star, you're you're upset really about the fact that um, it it wasn't the drinking after the games that cost you the game against Carfin. It was Carfin's greatness. Yeah, um, you know, as, as I learned on Brain Cox on Saturday, that the the universe is finite. And we're talking about a David Brady tweet for two days here, going into day three. Um, there's just no need for it. Like when Brady sits down and when he when he thinks hard about it, he's going to realise that it wasn't that there was no logic to his point at all. He doesn't know how hard we've trained. He doesn't know the preparation, the video work we put in. Um, you know, Kevin Cass would have been posting multiple videos the time we won the Ulster. He was. Possibly Edor's best player on Saturday didn't affect his performance. You know, I just don't see the the, the logic in this point here. Yeah, that's no, a fair point. The world is uh, is fine. Brian Cox seems to be pretty good. He was. He was probably definitely enjoyed him. Uh, it's, I meant to get him the last time he was here, but uh, football interfered. So I definitely wasn't missing him. Missing him this time. Yeah, you were happy enough to miss out in the. Uh, post-match celebration slash um, wake. That was you knew in advance though that even if you won, you were going to go to Brian Cox. Ah, uh, yeah, no, it's safer, safer down Dublin the O2 than to the up with the, the up with some of them books. Listen, Emma, we let you go. Thanks a million for joining us this morning. Cheers, boys. Thanks. See you later. Same McGee there, um, giving us some reflections on a fairly remarkable campaign for Guidor, uh, where ultimately they did go out against one of the great club sides. Yeah, it's been an, it's been an incredible. Just like purely, obviously off the pitch, it's been. Like one of the most uh, incredible couple of months we've seen in GA circles, and such uh, an example of how the GA community and the sporting community as a whole can come together uh, behind a, a greater cause. But then, even separate to that, even if you just like watch the matches on their own and didn't know any of the context around that, it's also been a fairly remarkable season as well. I mean, when you look at the, the couple of underdog stories we've had, and I think even calling the the Guidor situation an underdog story is probably doing them a little bit of a disservice. No, I think well. I think you, if you listen to what he says there, like. They, they stuck it out because mm. they knew there was a good crop of youngsters coming, yeah. but like winning a county was what they wanted. Yeah. That, that makes them definitely underdogs like sure. at this stage of the tournament, I think. It's fair enough. Yeah, like taking out a, a fairly good Scotstown team as well, who a lot of people would have fancied, who, who a lot of people were already talking about as uh, Ulster champions early on last year. Was uh, was something amazing as well, and so, certainly, like I, I don't think they were quite on the level of the Mullinyakta sort of level of, of underdog, but uh, certainly winning Donegal, as he said, was was the big thing for them, and it was one hell of a story. I think they'll be back. You sat here and um, tempted fate in the style of your pre-Ireland England prognostications, yeah. and so uh, when Croaks went down to fourteen men, and there was another ball going to the full back line and a slip and another goal, I was quick on going. Whoa! Here it comes. They're going to be they they more than Octa people will be memeing you for weeks. Mm. But no, they dug it out. Yeah, I, I was. I, I'm not going to lie. I was a little bit scared, particularly after Johnny Buckley got sent off. 
because uh, Dr. Croaks, in my view, had been killing them in midfield up until that point. And it was like, well, the tide is going to turn eventually. They've got two early goals here, but the tide is going to turn because Croaks keep winning primary possession. And that goalkeeper just ke- keeps pinging it down the middle of Dr. Croaks and it'll eventually kill them. And then their best ball winner in the middle of the park gets sent off. And I'm like, Dr. Croaks are in massive trouble here. But then they showed why they're so highly rated, why they are one of the best club sides around, and why this club final is going to be one of the most special we've had in the years. And like we've had great promise of great club finals in both codes that have failed to live up to the bill in recent years. Like, mm. off the top of my head, certainly Kula against Ballier a couple of years ago was supposed to be this brilliant exhibition of hurling, and that failed to materialise. But I think there was a sort of novelty to that pairing. And with, with a novelty, you get a sort of lack of experience of the big day in Crow Park. You get uh, a, a fear, like to, to, to put it like that, if you haven't been at that stage before, because it is the biggest day for a lot of people in, in their own career, in their club's history. But with Kerr Finn and Dr. Croaks, they both won this thing recently. They both know what it takes. Neither of them are going to park their game plan. And I can't see this thing failing to live up to the bill. I just think it's going to be an absolutely sensational final. I think Dr. Croak's going to win. I think Dr. Croak's have a better team. I think they're better in a lot of positions than Kerfin are. But Kerfin, let's not forget, have maximised what they've got. But while having an outstanding squad, they've also maximised what they've got uh, over the last uh, season and a half. So I don't, know, I don't even know what the line is saying, but I presume Dr. Croak's are favourites. Uh, and rightly so. Like when you've got Owen Brosnan and uh, one Colin Cooper to bring off the bench, you're in a fairly good position. And I just think that forward par- the, the forwards that they have are exceptional. The big key now is whether or not Johnny Buckley gets off after his red card on Saturday. Nobody saw it. Somehow, they, I don't know what happened. The cameras didn't pick it up. wasn't shown in any replay on TG Cahir on, on Saturday. And uh, wasn't shown again in any replay when they showed the highlights on the TV again last night. So I really don't know if he's going to get that. It's never a good sign, but it also leaves a little bit of wiggle room where they're like, ah, come on. Was it worth not playing an all-in final for, was it? Well, was ho- it? Like, from their perspective, hopefully that's the case because he'd be pivotal. Well, that's what happens, isn't it? There's like a, a does the punishment fit the crime, missing an all in final for a straight red card in a semi-final. That's the whole point of having rules, but also because it's Ireland, you get away with it. Uh, what's the story with David Shaw? David Shaw is an incredible footballer. Like the thing with David Shaw, and I always think, how old is he? Uh, David Shaw is the same age as David Clifford. Right. He, he was, so he was on the Clifford minor team, which, like, this is the 2016 Kerry minor team, which is uh, quite frankly ridiculous. Like when you're already looking at this, you, you can already see that most of these ads are going to make it. So there are six forwards in the 2016 final: were Darren Moynihan, Sean O'Shea, Dermot O'Connor, David Clifford, David Shaw, and Brian Friedel. Five of those six are going to be uh, Kerry regulars uh, at some point or another. It could happen this year. It'll probably be by the time uh, next year comes around. Uh, like Even if you look at his scoring that year, like he scored five points in the uh, quarterfinal, one three in the semifinal, one one in the final. And it was just because David Clifford was scoring all around him that this guy kind of got forgotten on a national consciousness. He's outrageously talented. But I'd always be a little bit concerned about players who play for such a successful club that when you're that young... You kind of need to be in the carry setup. You kind of need to be in the intercounty setup early in the year. You need to be proving yourself in league games. Is he going to get a chance after this league is said and done? After Dr. Croaks are, are finished? But surely he's in with the league trainer, in with the um, senior team training, no? I'm sure he has been, and I'm sure he had been before Christmas. But like ultimately, over the last couple of weeks, I, I, I would be very surprised if it wasn't just. Do you Crooks. not do a little bit of both, you know? Like you, you go and you stand and you watch and you do the walkthroughs, and you're like, okay, we're not going to run you around, no, no. Or do you just let him go and say, don't worry about this? Like, it's not like... It, the, other, the other thing is, he's got a manager who knows intimately how good he is. Mm. It's not like it's a manager like, oh, you're going to have to prove yourself to me. It's like, oh, yeah, you did win me in All-Ireland. 
Yeah, and he's also got a manager at club level who knows exactly how important it is to succeed at county level. Exactly. So he's got plenty of things going for him, but he's just one of an an unbelievable forward line. And like you look at, like in every single line, like Shane Murphy and goals who could be carried number one by the end of the year, Fionn Fitzgerald, an All Ireland winning captain, Gavin White, who's set to become one of the better halfbacks in the country, I think, over the next couple of years, Johnny Buckley in midfield, and then that outrageous forward line. It is an outrageously good team, and the fact that they've only got one club All Ireland to show for their efforts over the last couple of years would actually. Would, would, that border, would that border an underachievement if they didn't win it this year? Don't want to say that, but uh, the fact that they have won, I guess, will kind of uh, save them from being deemed complete bottlers. Uh, so, Dr. Croaks are 5-4 to four and Carthin are 6-5 to five on. Carthin are favourites. Well, I disagree with that. No. I disagree with that. Like, <coughs> it... It's, it's very easy to just kind of point to Dr. Crooks and say, well, look at all the players they have, and there's no club team that could possibly be as good as them. And like, that's simply just not the case when you look at some of the players that uh, Curfin have, particularly in the forwards department. Like, you look at Lundy, you look at Ian Burke, you look at Gary Sice, who was brilliant on Saturday at the Farahers. They've got brilliant talent all around the team as well. It's almost like not fair that two clubs can go head-to-head with all this talent in one club. <laughs> just appreciate them for what they are. This thing is this thing is going to live up to the bill on Paddy's Day. Okay, uh, and then one final thing that we need to bring your attention from uh, the world of football over the weekend: uh, a tweet from our very own Owen Sheehan. Carl Rourke had quite the take in today's Sindo. He's not impressed with Keane's miners except Moynihan and O'Shea, despite the fact there was literally only one more of Keane's miners in the pitch at any point in the trivia last week. Was Dieran O'Connor that unconvincing? Why do you hate Carl Rourke so much? Here's the bit there from O'Rourke's column I'm struggling to find many of the new Kerry players who I was really impressed with Sean O'Shea of course paid his way again while Darren Moynihan and Gavin O'Brien were also very good the jury is still very much out perhaps I was expecting too much from a lot of exceptional young players who Keane managed to win minor Ireland they may mark, make their mark in time well, what's he expecting? Like, I, I just I, I, maybe he just miss maybe he just doesn't know who played for Keane at minor level and I know I'm being very pedantic I kind of regretted tweeting it a little bit after tweeting it I was like I'm being very very pedantic uh, regarding Colm O'Rourke here uh, there was three not like you to be three of Keane's miners who, who played last week two of them he said played well so that only leaves Dermot O'Connor who he's unconvinced by it seems it, it was just a, a strange comment uh, but like what, are you, you say I don't hate Colm O'Rourke Colm O'Rourke hates Kerry though so. no you, you hate anybody who ever in any way well maybe this isn't as good as everybody says they are and, ah, you're talking about where I'm at like but that's, that's, not, that's, not, that's not what's happened here. He says he's unconvinced by Keane's minors, despite the fact saying that 66% of them have played well last week and impressed him. Uh, he's all, like, let's not forget his comment after one of the moments of the summer last year in Clonus, when David Clifford scored that goal. What's the first thing he said? Not, nothing about what happened in the game. It was like, well, this just shows the folly of the system. It's like, remember that? What was the folly of the system? That Kerry uh, gone out. Kerry hadn't won a Super 8 game and were still alive. And it's like, no, Colm, that is the exact point of the system. More games, more interest, longer season. Um, I don't know. So I'm just sick of anti anti carry bias. The uh, Sean O'Shea, who got mentioned there, um, was uh, involved in the Electric Ireland Sigerson Cup this weekend. Here are his goals, plural. Have a look. Clattering tackle by Jack Kennedy of Clonmel Commercials Tipperary. Surging forward is Kean Kiley. I heard Tomas O'Shea raving about this guy lately, and that's why that's a good move. It's Sean O'Shea. O'Shea! And that's a beautifully taken goal for UCC, and that is why everyone is raving about Sean O'Shea. Super move, Oshin, super move, and that's, that's a huge score there. for UCC against this breeze. It's the first goal. So here's the second Kennedy one. To O'Sullivan, or to O'Brien, I beg your pardon. They're up against NUIG here. Kylie helps it on to why do you, why, are, why are UCC so nice to carry football? 
Off it goes from O'Shea. Well, you know, they need the talent from somewhere. Again, it's not quite. O'Shea is onto it. Oh. Could be goal number two, O'Shea! Got the instinct of a striker, doesn't he? Sniff, he will it certainly seems that way. It is the best jersey in the world. What about the white patch in the back? Does it not let it down a small bit? Oh, no, the white patch is a classic 1970s move. It's beautiful. Do you think so? Oh, absolutely. I don't know. Without I the white patch, I think it's, it's actually... You're missing... If you can have a white patch in the back of your jersey, go for it. I would prefer Kildare to play in black jerseys with a white patch and black numbers. That would be my... If I, when, I get, when I get control of Kildare... Well, the Kildare goalie jersey could really be that. Yeah, I know, but the whole the project... Play, play, we are now the All Blacks, and screw you, we've changed our... There's no more flakiness about us. That's actually a very good shout. Great, I know. great marketing technique. I know. Like who like who stumbles first when Kildare plays Sligo? Like who who goes to the chain strip first? Well not us, but, we never change. wasn't there some story like years ago that Sligo weren't allowed to wear black? That they The referees or something? Yeah, maybe, maybe that was it. Or that I thought it would have had some sort of deeper meaning from the GEA that it was too more of a colour to actually wear and Sligo actually had to pay fines for a while to I don't know. Back. The I'm sure, I'm sure the Sigurds results though, uh, St Mary's beat UCD ten seven. Mary's held UCD scoreless for forty three minutes of that game, which is pretty good. And UCC obviously they're beating NUIG, but it was close enough, four nine to one fifteen. So a bit of a cracker it looked like. Um and that UCD team uh, looked like it was pretty good. Connor Callahan was playing, but um it says here, didn't score. Is that right? Yeah, strong win in the first half, apparently. But um, yeah, so fair play to... So it's St. Mary's versus UCC in the final. Now, here's what uh, Tommy Walsh had to say to Nathan Murphy about Limerick's statement win in Nolan Park yesterday. Have a look. I think Limerick are the, the proof today why they're the All-Ireland champions. Um, they're playing like a team that are just the shackles are gone now. They're just going out. They're not worrying about winning all Ireland. They're not worrying about fulfilling their potential of the under twenty one teams. They're like a team that we've done this and let's go do it again. Um, but listen, if you get over all that side, I just can't. I was mesmerised by their hurling today. Like in tight corners, they can hit the ball long, then hit the ball short. Whatever way you want to play, they will play you. They've big guys, they've small guys, and. Um, yeah, they're just so impressive here today. Yeah, it feels like there's a, a, a good game management that champions have. Of That first half hour, there was literally nothing between the sides after half an hour, and they sort of found their way into the game. But the second they got that one chance, the second they got that Shane Dowling goal, that's when everything just clicked into gear. And as you say, the style of hurling that they played with over that 15-20 minute spell was, was pretty special. Yes, and you can have all the... Like in that first half, like even though it, it was tight, they were making the runs, I felt. And there was a few chances where they got in behind the defence, but the Kenny defenders just swarmed them. So there was always going to a time come where maybe the, the spare Kenny defender wasn't there and they mm. had to, to break in for a goal. But yeah, their, their, their ability to play around with the ball, like Shane Dowling, we see him, like it's their hurling. They must be doing serious hurling training. Like Usually this time of year, it's a lot of running, a lot of physical work, a lot of gym work. But I suppose now with the AstroTurf pitches and the lights and all that, they can do a lot more hurling. But um, they were playing as if it was September. Tommy Walsh, obviously very impressed by the Limerick hurlers yesterday. Um, you know, the stats about how many games Cody had lost in Nolan Park in his 20 years. Um, the stats about how many games he'd lost by that big a score. They were all being rolled out. Um, as the harbinger of doom, the the nail in the coffin that is um, the Cody era. People are very quick to. It's always good to be, you know, the one who calls time up on a a great regime. You want to be that person. That's your dream in life when you're setting out, isn't it? <coughs> yeah. Like, like just just, uh, just no. Well, just one. Like I think we need to appreciate. Oh, uh, it's the end of the Ferguson era. I'm done here. Ferguson's walking out. It's definitely finished. <laughs> 
come on, let's wait, let's wait and see. Let's wait and see until he, he calls. He has allowed now to call time on his own regime. He's one of the few people in the history of world sport who gets to do it. Okay, so Brian tell me this. Alex Ferguson, when, when did his first moment on the rocks happen? 2002, wasn't it? He was days away from getting sacked? No. So at the, the start of the century, they were, they were like... No, it's like way back. Like... Okay, so, sorry, after the treble. So when the... the uh, after the treble? Yeah. He like, was never in danger of being sacked after the treble. Not even 2002 direction? He did the treble. Yeah, but I'm not, I'm not talking immediately after the treble. I mean, I know, but, uh, after 99. He could, have, he could have run that club into the ground and he wouldn't, never got sacked after doing the treble. But I, I thought there was some story that, there, that he was in big, big trouble after a couple of years after that. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, the point is that if you're, if you're a manager of a professional football club, what can you do? You can say, I'm the greatest manager of all time. I'm going to buy Give players. me loads of money. Yeah. I'll buy loads of players. What can Kilkenny do? They can turn in whatever the conveyor belt is coming their way and they can make the most of it. And it's not sensational. Now, the thing is... That comes back to your original point that it is ultimately the TJ Reeds, the Colin Fennellys that will win them this All Ireland. They're going to go all the way. It, it is them that will get them to the semi final that they're going to get that far. And that would be an improvement on last year. I guess it's a battle semi final where they want to go. I think Brian Cody's got eyes in the All Ireland final. If he doesn't, yeah, of course. And I think everybody in the top eight does. But just like one moment on Limerick. Like, they, what, what Tommy Walsh was saying there, being mesmerised by them. I think a lot of us were mesmerised by Limerick. And we have been so far this league campaign. The way Limerick were spoken about last year, it was kind of like Leicester City winning the Premier League. It was like, oh, isn't that great to see a uh, county? No, it, it kind of was. Ah, no. It kind After of they was. It, in, in the terms of the tone, it was like this fairy tale story. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, not, yeah. Not, not in terms of the underdog nature. Granted, it was the, the drought. Well, no, that no, no, led no, to this. no, exactly. It was, no, the lesser city thing was we knew that that team would never win again. There was no one saying that Limerick are finished. The way that we knew Leicester were never going to do that again because it was impossible. I'm talking about how we uh, shaped the celebration of the team. Yeah, but that was the, fine. The, celebra- the celebration of the Leicester team was not, this thing is never going to happen again. It was focusing on that moment, which was, this is a very special it moment. It was precisely it's, because it would never happen it's again. It's very unusual. With Limerick, and it was because they had, they had ended uh, mm-hmm. a quarter century of pain and desperation and there was an outpouring of joy and the style of play that they had was so free and they were so open to just chatting about stuff and just being themselves. And that nobody at the start of the year, not many people at the start of the year, would have tipped Limerick for All-Ireland success. Yeah. That they were outsiders coming in to win it. Yeah, and but there's no sense that they're finished because they've done that once. That's not what I'm trying to say. I, the, the part of the Leicester story I'm trying to take is that uh, it was uh, th- there was kind of a fairy tale element to Limerick winning the All-Ireland last year. And I think, naturally, certainly in my mind, what comes connected to that is the other side of the Leicester story that you're talking about, is that, well, this is a, clearly going to be a one-year wonder. They're going to celebrate all through the winter and there's no no way they'll come back last year. But, more importantly than that, teams will start to take them far more seriously next year. What's happened this year, teams have started to take them a lot more seriously, but there's only one team who's taking Limerick more seriously than everybody else this year, and it's Limerick themselves. They are a completely different beast to the one uh, they were last year. I think they've gone up another couple of levels, and it's very, very early in the year to say that, but all the evidence points that way. All right. I'm not sure. Uh, Why? Nathan also spoke to Brian Cody. Have a look. Brian, that was some blitzkrieg by Limerick in the five minutes before halftime, five minutes after halftime. How do you look back though on the on the full 70? Yeah, that's, that's they were the key, key moments in the game, all right, coming up to halftime. Like we played against a very, very strong win the first half when we were really competitive, playing really well, um, really in the game. And then, you know, in the space of a couple of minutes, they, they put in two goals, probably both preventable as well, you know, that was the disappointing thing about it. And that gave them a real cushion then to go on with confidence. And, and for the first 10, 15 minutes of the second half, they dominated. 
we made mistakes, we gave away a ball, but we responded very well again, you know. So, I mean, and we finished very strongly and even missed handy opportunities as well for a few more scores. So, look, the scoreboard is the scoreboard. We're going away having lost by that much, but I'm not going away totally despondent or anything like that because there were definitely positives in the game as well. What were they? What are you taking from it? Well, certainly the first 20, 25 minutes playing against an outstanding team, the best team in the country, were certainly positives because we were going out with a fair few players without a lot of experience, to be fair. And playing against a really strong win, so they would have been looking at getting a good cushion behind them. We were strong, we were strong all over the field. You know, Walter Welch was playing outstanding, hurling as well there in centre forward. So look, we were really in the game. And then, like I said, a lapse of concentration or just a mistake, and suddenly there's daylight between us. So I mean, that was a positive, that start. And the other positive then obviously was when they were looked like they were going to go to site altogether, we responded again and kept fighting. So um, it's not all doom and gloom. Yeah, I don't think it's all doom and gloom. Let's wait and see. Tom's here. Tom, how are you? Good, good to you. Yeah. What's going on? Uh, well, Chelsea Manchester United are looking to secure the final FA Cup quarter-final spot this evening. Chelsea's assistant coach Gianfranco Zola hopes tonight's FA Cup fifth-round match with Manchester United will be one to remember. The teams meet in a rerun of last year's final as they look to progress to the last eight of the season's competition. And Zola says it's a special fixture. I think it's a classic. It's uh, it's a great game. Not only for uh, in FA Cup is for the whole country. It's always a very very interesting feature. So plus they are really in a good moment. So it's it's a good challenge. Is that is actually what we need to do right now? One of the pair will join Wolves, Crystal Palace, Swansea, Millwall, Brighton, Watford, and Manchester City in the last eight later. That game at Stamford Bridge gets underway at 7:30 this evening, and that quarter-final draw will follow that encounter. Scott Brown scored a dramatic 90th minute winner against Kilmarnock yesterday to put Celtic eight points clear at the top of the Scottish Premiership table. The skipper scored and then was immediately sent off when he picked up a second yellow for celebrating that game finished 1-0. All-Ireland champions Limerick maintain their perfect Allianz National Hurling League start. Scored an impressive 218 to 15 point victory over Kilkenny. Late first half goals from Shane Dowling and Conor Boylan really swung the game in the Shannon Siders' favour. It was Limerick's first victory in the Marwell County for 22 years and manager John Kiley is happy with how his players and the squad players stepped up to the mark. Started today, I think it was nine of the side that started the All Ireland final. In the end, Keen Lynch was a, a late withdrawal. The likes of Shane Dowling coming in, Connor Boylan getting the goals. Those players who were knocking on the door, who were so desperate to start last September, are they the ones who were driving things forward at the start of the year? Well, you know, it's up to everybody that's involved to push it, you know, on and off the pitch. But there's no doubt that I was looking to the lads who maybe didn't play as much a part as they might have liked to last year to really put a, a hand up and stake, you know, say, listen, I want to get it on the pitch more often, you know, and play a bigger part. So it's been great to see the energy they brought to train and the energy they brought to our matches and long may it continue. And it must be great for you as a coach to see the confidence that the players have brought from winning the All-Ireland out onto the pitch, that they're not, listen, they, they went, they enjoyed it, they celebrated, but they, they played today like All-Ireland champions. Yeah, listen, there's no doubt that you know winning can give you that add, add a bit of confidence and it's not a bad thing, but it's got to be tempered with uh, you know an honesty and a, uh, an attitude that, of hard work as well and at the moment we're getting the balance right.
A stoppage time point, rather, by Ed Nolan enabled Wexford to squeeze past Tipperary by 115 to 114 at Wexford Park. David Fitzgerald's men there coming from eight points down to win. And Joe Canning hit eight points in Galway's 20 points to 111 victory over Dublin in Division 1B of the Allianz National Hurling League. In golf last night, Rory McIlroy has admitted he wasted a chance to win the Genesis Open on the PGA Tour. Finishing a two-under par round of 11-under for the tournament, three shots behind winner J.B. Holmes. It was a long day, though, for the Northern Irish man. He played 33 holes in all on the day, so perhaps fatigue caught up with him. He shot, at 30, he shot 37 on the back nine of his final round compared to 34 just hours earlier and a 30 on the back nine on day two. Well, J.B. Holmes won, really. It was Justin Thomas that lost. And Thomas led by seven shots after 54 holes. Nobody in PGA Tour history uh, has lost a 54-hole seven-shot lead or more. Uh, so, uh, and, and he birdied the, fir- the first, round, first hole of his final round as well, but uh, eventually shot a 75, finishing second on 13 under par behind J.B. Holmes. And in racing at the weekend, Tiger Roll is favoured to become the first horse since Red Rum to maintain the entry Grand National. Last year's winner, uh, he got his Cheltenham prep underway perfectly. He was sent off 25 to 1 at Navin yesterday and he won the Boyne Hurdle. Uh, he'll be, uh, he's a warm order favourite of about 5 to 4 for the uh, cross-country chase at Cheltenham and that will be his, what, fourth win at the festival in the, as well. So a uh, pretty special horse. Tiger Roll and uh, like I say 5-4 to four for the cross country at Cheltenham and he's favoured to retain that Grand National Crown as well just as well it was the first winner back for jockey Keith Donoghue who was severely injured over the course of the, uh, the course of Christmas actually broke several bones in his face and that was his uh, first winner back so good day for him and Tiger Roll as well he's only declared to be 75% fit in the day by yeah, Gordon Elliott too, bad, so. pretty good going also uh, shout out as well to Rachel Blackmore uh, she rode four winners over the course of the weekend including the grade two Chris's dream and that puts her just three behind Paul Townend at the top of the Jockeys Championship yeah we'll keep a close eye on that over the next while Tom good stuff thanks very much for that uh, now let's move on to rugby Alan Quinlan is with us this morning to uh, talk to us about what happens in the week in between a uh, Six Nations game the down week and then obviously um, everybody's looking forward to it and really all the Irish coaching ticket wanted this weekend was for their best players to come through unscathed and unfortunately that hasn't been the case Chris Farrell had to come off early with uh, precautionary uh, bang to the knee. We really hope he's okay, Alan. Yeah, he's the only one I think that's uh, that's a concern and a worry for for Joe Schmidt. Obviously, uh, it's disappointing when you get some time back and you he's trying to build up some game time and get some of that sharpness back. I think um, it's disappointing. Um, I'm just wondering, did Johan van Gran get a little message uh, when when the knock happened to say uh, get Chris off the field? Um, but look, I think it's 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 much better, and that's we talk about the player welfare system here, Ger, all the time. I think that's the um, that's what happens here, and the players get protected, and they don't ha- they're not forced to play on, whether it be with head head injuries or a calf strain or bangs or knocks. So I don't think it's it's too bad. It seemed to be a knee into the side of the knee, a clash of knees more than anything, and uh, he wanted to continue. Um, but he seems to be the only one, and it's interesting the week that's in it. Um, what kind of a side Joe Schmidt will pick, um, what kind of spirit they'll be in, and and what they want to get out of the game. Obviously, it would be very, very surprising if, if they don't win fairly comprehensively. Uh, but it's I think po- points are going to be a difference here. Points are going to be important, uh, scoreline. It'll be really important to get a good scoreline on Saturday. Van Graan was part of the... Monday. 
it was in with the Ireland um, coaching team. We've seen this before, obviously, the, the link between various coaches who are in the system and the international team. Ultimately, it does really work in, in situations like the Farrell injury, but lo- loads of other things as well, like how teams use the scrum or the set piece. Or I, I, I'm not saying uh, teams change line-out calls on the basis of what the international team are doing, but you can see how well the system works in terms of implicating the widened coaching ticket with the national coaching ticket. Yeah, and I think it's it's probably been very relevant in the last couple of years. Um, the information, the standard, the detail that the players bring back to their provincial sides as well. And that's not disrespecting the provincial coaches because they have their own ideas and they have their own ways of doing things. And like you said, lineouts are different. The calling systems are different. And, and sometimes the way they play are different. But the basic principles of the detail, their attitude... Um, the way they prepare and and kind of lift other guys and set a good standard for young players around them. I think that's been the biggest the biggest improvement and the biggest uh, positive I've seen from and and I've heard from players coming back that the detail that they've been giving it's a little bit different for the obviously for the national coaches because they have more time and they have less time with the players but probably more time with to prepare for their little blocks. And so they've got to ram a lot of stuff in in, in, the, in those periods of time. And then there's a certain amount of pressure to win at international level that funds and runs the whole game here. So um, that system, look, we're the, we've, the English speak about it a lot. Um, sometimes with, I'm not sure whether it's envy or jealousy. Um, it is a really good system and it works well for the players here. So I think it's something that um, obviously is beneficial, but... You know, England, were, for all their woes in the club game, came and beat us two weeks ago. So there, sometimes uh, it doesn't work perfectly for us. No, I'm not sure about you, Alan, but it doesn't... I don't really like to look at a schedule, the fact that you've got uh, a week off either side of the Italy game. You kind of have to play a lot of your starters for fear that they get rusty, but you kind of want that week off in between uh, around one game to be a bigger game than the Italy game. Yeah, I think people have kind of debated this after the Scottish game. Should you completely rotate? People are are putting up possible teams to play Italy and all, you making a huge number of changes. I personally wouldn't. I play the strongest team possible. The players have had a week off, um, a weekend off. They they met last week and had a, a short kind of camp situation last week for a few days. This week is the full week preparation. I think they need to play because. As you say, there's a week off next week as well, and then there's those two really diff, you know, challenging blocks where you play France on a Sunday and play Wales on Saturday. That's going to be a really tough week. Resting the players now, for me, maybe there'll be you know, some of the 50-50 calls or some, some guys who, who were close to selection anyway might push and, and, and get an opportunity. It might not be a rotation job. It might be a chance to say, look, you go play well here and you can play against France and Italy. Um, so I wouldn't make too many changes if I could. I think the team need a, co- a confidence, morale-boosting performance. Um, the first two games were always going to be really difficult. Um, I, I, I've said this a few times. The hysteria and the reaction to a loss is, and then maybe not the best performance in Scotland, is sometimes um, way over the top. Yeah, um, so I think they, you know, in some sense, the players themselves just need to get a little bit more cohesion. The kicking game needs to be probably a lot better um, and some other little details in their performance. So hopefully they can get that right at the weekend against Italy. 
Robbie Henshaw is quoted in a lot of the papers this morning, Quinny. He's saying that he talks about the, the Robbie Henshaw decision at fullback for the first game against England, and he says he was watching it and he wanted him to do well, but not too well. Rob which, Kearney uh, in the papers today. What did I say? Henshaw. Henshaw, sorry, Rob Kearney. Henshaw not wanting to do well. All right, okay. For, uh, Rob Kearney's in the newspapers this morning, Alan. Yeah. Uh, like, I guess that's a familiar feeling. It's exactly how you'd expect him uh, to be feeling looking at that, because he speaks about the idea that uh, his jersey was ultimately in threat if that day had gone very, very well from a Henshaw perspective. Yeah, look, it's. Um I never wanted any of my anyone to got selected ahead of me to play really well. No sports person will say they do. I think there's an honesty, um, and people want the team to win. You know, I think uh, if you if you let yourself go, I don't want my, I want the person who was picked ahead of me to play badly. I just think it's bad karma, and that's the way I always felt. So he, he look, it didn't work out perfectly for him. Is it an option that won't happen again? I hope I hope it happens again. I hope he be, he can he can get a chance to do it again there because I think look, he's an incredible footballer, a brilliant player. And I'd love to see the Irish pack playing really well and Robbie Henshaw getting some good ball and being on the front foot a little bit because I think, you know, he's a very strong, resilient guy. I think he'll learn a lot from that and be stronger from it and he's bounced back before. He loves a challenge. Uh, but there's huge competition at centre place. None of them can take it for granted now, I think. Uh, Aki, Ringrose, Henshaw, Chris Farrell, you know, there's there's four guys there who are who are top quality players. Tom Farrell is playing well. Rory Scannell will try and get in the mix. Will Addison can play in the centre. So there's a lot of opportunities there and, and um, pressure for all of them to be selected at any given time. We saw, as I said, when Graham was obviously with the Ireland squad, um, something similar going on with the core curlers. Dougie Howlett was on the bench uh, at the weekend. What's going on here? What, what can you exclusively reveal about this? Uh, I can't re- exclusively reveal anything, but uh, I know Dougie's has been... He's been kind of uh, been in with the footballers and the horrors before, and I think uh, to have someone of his experience and what he's achieved in the game and the high standards he set himself as a player, to have them around the squad, whether it's for a short ter- time or long long term, um, can be usually beneficial. Um, he he looked like he had his game face on, that kind of real kind of winning mentality, winning attitude, game face, and. To have the opportunity to have Dougie around, I think he's, he was a real... He's not someone who screamed and shouted a lot, and but just his whole body language was a kind of an angry, determined, um, driven kind of body language, if you like. And, and you can always learn from other sports people. So I think for Cork to have him in there is a very shrewd, shrewd thing to do. Yeah, I think sometimes we take for granted the fact that like when Doug Howlett arrived in Munster, he was the record try scorer at that time for the All Blacks. And not when the All Blacks were playing 600 games a year the way they are now. And, you know, like the level that he played at was higher than almost anybody else has ever played his position in the history of the game. And we're kind of like, oh, yeah, that's just Doug Howlett, you know, but he's not really. He's a superstar. Absolutely. Yeah, when I remember I was sitting on a bus at Irish squad in... Um we were training out in uh, in Greystones, I think, with Ireland, and the news came through after the training session that he was after signing. This was in January, and uh, the excitement about, among the, the Munster players at the time to say that you were going to get a player like this to come in and play for Munster. He's still the record try scorer, uh, only by a couple, I think. And just look, he's as I said, his presence is just incredible. I think his attitude and his detail and. And just um, the way he, he kind of inspired people around him, he was an incredible signing. So 
for someone like that to be in with a group of amateur players who are probably highly driven and motivated and determined to, to win in Cork again, um, just having their presence around. And we've seen it with a lot of teams. We've seen it with Dublin, Bernard Brogan, Dennis Leamy was with uh, Tipperary in 2016 when they won in All-Ireland. And sometimes it's great for players to have a person around like that. You can ask a question about their preparation or, or their worries or their fears about the, an opponent or about the opposition. I think to have someone like him there is, is brilliant. He was a brilliant presence in our dressing room, Joe. Like, obviously, you were named on a new uh, commercial board for Tipperary GA a couple of weeks ago. Does that mean yourself and Dougie are sworn enemies at this point? Absolutely. Uh, Tipperary <laughs> and Cork, that rivalry will never, never end. I remember on many occasions being in the t- terraces in Porky Cueve or in, in, in Semple Stadium and and hating the red jerseys that were anywhere near us. Um, that all kind of changed a little bit, obviously, when you play with Munster, that, that hatred went out of it. But the rivalry will never change, you know. So, uh, yeah, I look forward to kind of dropping a shoulder into Dougie if I meet him anywhere near uh, a Tip Cork match in the future. This week as well, for um, the, the kind of down week for some of the players from an Ireland perspective, is it a bit of a pain? Like, after the Scotland game when you were kind of getting the pipes clean finally and starting to move in the right direction, I know there's a lot of criticism of the performance, but they'll have thought, well, actually, we dug a win out and never really looked like we were going to lose that game after we got a, a stranglehold fairly early on it. Would they prefer a week where it was another game rather than this kind of giving some players who were uh, injured the chance to remind management that actually they should have been starting that week if they would have if they'd been fit? I think the coaches um, would obviously prefer a week off because they've, they've more players back in the mix and that they can rest and and. and aid the recovery for, for the guys who had the bangs and knocks. Um, I think from players' point of view, sometimes it's better to get out the week after and go again. But it was a tough block, Ger, not just physically, but mentally as well. That English game would have taken a fair bit out of them. And, and you know, then the challenge of going to Murrayfield, playing against a Scottish side who had beaten them two years previous and were kind of rubbing their hands waiting for them. So I think psychologically it was a big two weeks. So having the week off was probably a blessing for everybody. I think they need to hit the ground running now. This next couple of weeks are... you probably prefer a game after the Italy game straight away and no break to start this bit of momentum and have three weeks in the trot, if you like. But I think from an overall preparation point of view, it's probably been best to have it off. Um, they'll be excited this week um, because it's... it's. I, I said this from the start of the, uh, the tournament. I think if they lost against England, they, they've just got to... They've got to beat Italy, Scotland, Italy, France and go to Cardiff with a chance of getting four out of five. And that's, you're putting yourself in the mix then. I know at this stage England are probably going to win a Grand Slam unless Wales do something um, you know, to upset that on Saturday. Um, but I think if they can get to, get to Wales having won three and maybe get a result in Cardiff then, you know, and get out of the championship with some question marks over performance and some and, and things to work on. Well, I think that's a good thing because, you know, the World Cup is going to be a different scenario. You've got to come up with a different strategy and it's it's a, a block of games over a five to six week period if you're if you're lucky to, to move into knockout stages. Yeah. And I just I'd be really confident that Joe Schmidt um, you know because of his his rugby brain, can can hopefully get Ireland right at this World Cup. But I think just in the short term, they've got to try and get the card of having won three out of you know won three games on the trot and 
and maybe beat Wales and Cardiff, which is a very difficult thing to do. There's no guarantee of that. But at least if they're in the mix there and get a performance in Cardiff, you can walk away then saying, well, look, it hasn't worked out, but we've given, we've got some positives out of it. Would you start Joey Carberry? Um, no, I wouldn't. I'd start Sexton and I'd try and get him and Murray humming again. And uh, given the, the couple of weeks that are in it, if Johnny Sexton doesn't play against Italy, he will have only played, you know, probably 80 minutes, 70 against England, 70 or whatever it was. Did he play the full game against England? I can't remember. He probably stayed, played the full game in 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes in Scotland. He'll have played the guts of 100 minutes in, since Christmas. It's, I just think he needs games, really. I know he's taken a couple of heavy knocks. Obviously, if there's any issue around his HIA or, or his physical... No, oh, oh, Skype's gone. There you go. The gremlins. But uh, we were nearly finished anyway, so yeah. I mean, um, I, I understand the case for starting second. I also understand the case for starting and making a significant number of changes. The Welsh made a number of changes in squads on tenterhooks then. I don't know. It's a really weird situation we find ourselves in where what we're seeing now, we're watching all of it through the prism of the Rugby World Cup. Exactly, and that is the way it should be. There is huge encouragement to be got from Conor Murray and Johnny Sexton's performances, though. There has to be. In in the fact that we're still capable of being beaten so horribly by England. (laughs) I mean, what's what's the good bit here? As in they're so far away from the best version of themselves. Yeah. And age, aging, like you might be, you might be more uh, adept at telling me about this, but apparently aging is this process that happens at a very slow, incremental rate. It doesn't just happen overnight and you're a bad player. You don't, you don't, you don't wake up one morning... You always become an asshole overnight, did you? Is that what happened? <laughs> Born an asshole. Like, I don't think Conor Murray woke up one morning and his kicking game was off. No, he, but he woke up one morning, he was injured, or he came out of a match injured, and then suddenly, day after day, his sharpness reduced. No, I, and now I, he's going back the other way. Uh, no, 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 no. I, I think that um, Conor Murray's just not uh, in the same level of form that he will be when he gets a run of games. So that's, I, I wouldn't be worried about that at all. With um, Sexton, you just want to make sure that he's fully fit and he will totally be fine by the time the World Cup rolls around. But I guess the point is that here is the vision of what we look like when our two most important players are not playing as mm. well as they possibly can. And it's grand. We're still like a fairly good international rugby team. We'll still make the quarterfinals of a World Cup. You would expect us to come out of our group, absolutely, yeah. right? And um, probably to top that group, even uh, even if those players are playing, but not at the level that they're capable of playing to. Except the question then becomes, do we have, if, if they're off 10-15%, do we have anybody who at 100% can be more effective in that game? And that's the question for the coaches. And so, What do you think? I think that you need to experiment a bit and see like what does what does a different 9 and 10 look like in a game against Italy where Italy are actually not as crap as they have been in some of the recent seasons um, now who knows what is what's going to happen uh, it's going Sunday is it? yeah it's Sunday I don't know I, I, like, I think that if you go in making a lot of changes you probably get into a bit of trouble for it but at the same time, so you're talking about um, maybe starting Cooney in a game to see what it would, what it would mean. He's going to be nervous, and he, you need to see what he looks Marmion's like. back that. this week, isn't he? Well, did he play for Connacht at the weekend? Um, I don't know. I didn't check that, but uh, irrespective of whether or not yeah. he's back, does he go straight back in, like, or 
do you want him to have some game time? Whereas Cooney's looked relatively sharp, you would say, in the minute and the three minutes he's been given. And, like, give him some more time. Um, but they obviously don't feel like he's ready for it just yet, or otherwise they would have used him, right? Well, that's the thing. And you talk about a Joe Schmidt player, they don't get much more Joe Schmidt than uh, Kieran Marmion. And there's reason for that as well. He's, he's proven himself on, on certain occasions to be a, a fairly reliable backup. Like, the suspicion is that Conor Murray kind of has to drop to a fairly low percentage of himself for there to be a better version of a scrum half coming off the Irish bench. Right? Like, what are we talking? Like, are we talking 70% Conor Murray is what it needs to be for him to not start? Uh, like, say, say there's one game left before the world ends. Caelan Blade started for um, Connacht. So, Marion was on the bench. Like, what, what, what are we talking here? What do, what do we need Conor Murray to be I at? don't know, but, like, so here's the thing. What if he's not fit in the World Cup? You don't know. It doesn't matter, like... It doesn't matter what percentage he's at. If you've got no replacement, then you haven't planned for that eventuality. That's the point. So th- this game doesn't matter. And those two will have plenty of time between now and October to play games together. But what's the replacement scenario if neither of them is playing well or if both of them are injured? Yeah. What does that look like? Well, if you're, if you're, like, that's obviously the question that they're going to be asking themselves at Carton House over the next couple of weeks. Currently, it's Kieran Marmion and Joey Carberry. Yeah, and so Marmion's not fit as well. But like, uh, exactly, so it's, uh, it's a bit of an issue. Yeah, all right. Let's move on. We're going to talk about uh, Colin Kaepernick in just a moment, but to get us there, here's a great piece from the Sunday paper review. Uh, Declan Lynch was in, and uh, US golf culture and Matt Kuchar came up for discussion. Have a look. It's just uh, symptomatic of a culture, right? Um, like, we all love the old golf, Joe. You know what I mean? Sure, like, we, we'd watch sport, it, yeah. you know, and all that. But... The PGA, particularly the, the top, the you know the the culture, the corporate culture of the PGA is vile, vile beyond belief. It's the kind of sporting wing of the far right in America. Uh, you've got the NRA, the GOP, and the PGA. Yeah. They're vile, right? And this is so symptomatic of, of a culture, you know, that is in which I think the Colin Kaepernick, the, the take a knee, I think one professional golfer, sort of ranked number 857 or something, supported him or, or made a statement in mm. support of him, right? Um, it, this is the culture that these guys are coming from. So it's as n- normal as breathing for Matt Kuchar to be <laughs> issuing these, these guys, a disgraceful, disgraceful um, sort of view of the world, really. And even when he gives him the fifth, why not give him the hundred grand, uh, for God's yeah, sake? Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, how hard would that be? So he calls a penalty on himself. It's not much of a penalty, really, is it? He's calling on himself. I mean, he's uh, uh, he's calling maybe uh, half a penalty. Mm. Uh, you know, it should, it maybe it should be a two-shot penalty, and he's only calling one shot. Do you, you know, know what? Go all out to try and redeem yourself and say, do you know what? I've made forty-six million. I yeah. made such a mess of this. Here's the million. That's what. That's, ex- that's exactly what I was thinking. I, yeah. I, I think. I think he looks mean, and there is nothing attractive you about him. He still paid the minimum amount, 50,000 totally. is now the next new minimum. <laughs> <laughs> He'd been dragged through a ditch to pay it. Yeah. It looks shocking. Um, it's, it's incredibly revealing, though, of attitudes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, more of that good stuff available on the Sunday pay-per-view. But let's move on to the Colin Kaepernick story. Mike Carlson is with us this morning because there were significant developments. Late Friday night, it's called the uh, stereotypical PR dump. Uh, Mike, where you issue something on a Friday and you hope ah something good is going to happen over the weekend and everybody will forget about this. Yeah, that that that's pretty much it. And funnily enough, I, I listened to the paper review yesterday um, when, when you guys put it up later on and 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 made a little note of what De- Declan was saying. Uh, 
uh, about the PGA, uh, just just in reference to that. You know, um, we can get back to that in a minute. But um, yeah, they they announced a settlement in the Kaepernick uh, case, uh, which remember is not a law case, but it was it was a case brought within the terms of the collective bargaining agreement between the NFL and and the Players Association. So it's an internal matter in that sense. Um, no terms were discussed, and and neither side is allowed to to um, discuss or reveal what those terms were. But it was immediately being presented in America as a quote unquote draw between the the league and and Kaepernick um, and then there was a kind of um, drip drip of little things about Kaepernick a, a lot of oh, oh he he was betraying his cause and and the cause of course was was Black Lives Matter and and protesting against police brutality especially as aimed at black people and um, there was also a a um, report which then proved to be false that he had turned down a $20 million offer from the the um, Alliance of American Football, which is a new spring league, a, a kind of minor league sort of setup, much like NFL Europe used to be, um, but, but taking place in the States and, and thus far two weeks in, remarkably successful for, for what it's doing. So um, a league with a kind of total of one million dollars had had offered him twenty apparently, and he turned it down. But that turns out not to be true, according to uh, pe- people with the AAF. Uh, so you know, I, I think the spin was to try to make this as as everything is hunky dory. But the reality is that this is it's a victory for Colin Kaepernick, and it's not it's not an issue of uh, protest, but process. In other words, it's not vindicating his, pro- his protests. The league hasn't said you were right to do that. The league hasn't said he'll come back into football. But what it has done is, in effect, conceded that they had blackballed him and that they wanted to stop the process before it got any further into investigating the terms of that and what had gone on with the league owners. There was an important ruling last August where, um, you know, you get to a point where you put some of your evidence forward and it's uh, it's decided whether or not this case will progress. And uh, at that point, it was decided that there was enough evidence for the, the case to progress. And after that, a load of discovery happened. So some very senior figures within the NFL, the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, John Elway, Robert Kraft, the owner of the uh, New England Patriots, they had uh, all of their texts and emails in connection with this issue. Uh, they were discoverable. So at that point, a treasure trove of information is how I saw it described. And some of it very private and some of it potentially embarrassing falls into the hands of the lawyers of Kaepernick and um, uh, Eric Reid. And, uh, well, I mean, that would have been pretty amazing. Yeah, I, I think you've hit the nail on the head. It, that um, that August decision made a settlement probably inevitable. Um, and the NFL had moved to dismiss it right then because, according to the CBA, collusion has to be proven. Uh, in other words, you need hard evidence to do that. And and ever since baseball in the late 80s got caught colluding, um, Peter Uberoff, who was the commissioner, um, you know, had lectured the owners about being stupid in the amount of money they paid. And the, evi- the hard evidence was there. The NFL was banking on the fact that there was no hard evidence of a collusion. Nobody ever sat down and said, OK, Kaepernick's not playing for us. But 
in August, the um, his lawyers, Kaepernick's lawyers, presented Stephen Burbank with enough evidence to suggest that that was the case. And, and some of that did come from depositions. Um, but as you say, it opened the door for a lot more. And the NFL does not like its internal workings to become public. And that, that's everything from what owners say to um, – to what the budgets are and where the money goes and that kind of thing. And the October meeting in October 17 that you were mentioning, Jerry Jones literally went into that meeting with a message from Donald Trump saying, you know, I'm going to kill you guys. Uh, this is an issue where you need to be on my side. And uh, the obvious inference from that was that the owners believed that, you know, seven or eight owners were major contributors to Trump. Uh like with the PGA, the 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 kind of natural bias is in that direction. You know, uh, golf as that golf is a country club sport. Still, it, it's played by more or less the elites. You've had a couple of exceptions of, of black golfers who come up through public courses and things like that. But basically, it's it's an, an elite sport, and its natural inclination is to lean um, toward toward the rich and powerful. And the same is true of NFL owners. Yeah. Like, I, I do wonder if that's actually something they want to clean up, Mike. I mean, that idea. Are, are NFL owners pretty comfortable with that view? Like, it seems to me like the likes of Jerry Jones is it, fairly okay with that. But then again, he's not the only NFL owner at play here. Like, we saw a story last week that Adam Silver was linked with potentially being the successor to Roger Goodell, which if you're talking about a PR coup, that would be an absolute jackpot from an NFL point of view. Suddenly they've got a guy who can be held up as uh, the beacon of the left here. Yeah, <laughs> I think you have to put the left in inverted commas. Exactly. Well, that's true. Uh, in that, but but um, yeah, and, and you know the the NBA is a where the NFL is sort of sixty percent black. The NF the NBA is eighty or eighty five percent black players, um, and they've been they've been far more proactive in terms of of engaging with with those kind of those kind of issues, and it's also a league where. The NFL has 53 players on a team, 10 players on a practice squad. There's the NBA has well now 15, but it used to be 12. Um, but the the you know the the stars in the NBA could go out. You could take the top 50 players and they could go start their own league with five or 60 players with six teams and 10 players and just hire arenas and sell them out because all the best players would be playing there. And I think the owners are aware of that, that possibility. Silver's done a really good job on the PR sense. And, and in, in a sense, that's the, you know, the commissioner of the sport is, especially in the NFL is, is works for the owners, not for the sport. And, and that's almost in, and Silver's done a great job of, of, Making it seem, making it appear, and and in fact, in a lot of ways, doing working for the sport, not for not specifically for the owners, um, which in the big picture is probably a better thing because in the big picture, if the sport continues to grow and and uh, attract attract fans and and treat the players well, it's going to be better for everybody in the end. Yeah, there's no way he's getting the NFL job though, because um, those owners just no. won't have him. Um, he <laughs> likes the players too much. Well, like that's yeah, the thing. And, it, and it, he, it is. It does seem to be like a bit of a facade. And I think you've touched on it there, Mike. The whole Adam Silver aura. Like it is. It's a great PR coup yes. if, if that would happen. But in terms of Adam Silver as a man, I don't want to say he's uh, like Roger Goodell too much. But I'm sure they share similar trains of thought. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I think that's absolutely right. And and um, the thing is. From a from a PR point of view, ditching Goodell for Silver would be a, ter a kind of a terrible move um, from the NFL's point of view. We would say they've been doing lots wrong, and and Goodell has made 
you know, presided over the making of a lot of money for the NFL. Uh, they have a and and one one of the other you know things to remember when you're talking collusion, of course, is that the the exemption to antitrust legislation that these leagues enjoy is based on the idea that although it is one business, the league, the teams are actually competing against each other so that antitrust would limit their ability to um, to compete against each other. If you're colluding, the case that the teams are actually competing against each other becomes a lot uh, a lot harder to make. And in the case of baseball back, back in the 80s in Uberoff, he told the owner specifically – there's money to be made there if you stop spending so much money on players. Why are you doing this? And and in baseball, because of the luxury tax and the way money's redistributed, there is no pressure on you to win in order to make money. And the same is true in the NFL. They don't make a big deal about it, and everybody does try to win. But teams make money whether they win or lose. Yeah, yeah. I, I hadn't realized that um, the, there was $280 million was the figure I saw for that collusion campaign or collusion case. For baseball, I, yeah, oh I knew, yeah, I knew nothing yeah. about it at all, and kind of, I also didn't realize that this was just an entirely internal thing. So that's obviously why the players put this in the collective bargaining agreement because it has happened before in American sport that collusion happens against Abs- the players. Ab- absolutely, and when I worked, I worked for Major League Baseball from uh, ninety to ninety four, and the commissioner was Faye Vincent, who who the owners got rid of because he was a little bit too independent for their taste. But one of the things Vincent said when he first came in was that the players. The owners had to make nice with the players because the owners had literally stolen 300 some odd million dollars from them by by not negotiating contracts fairly um, and by with, withdrawing from the free agency process. And um, and that that was very much true. And, and every. You know, you're too young to remember it, basically, <laughs> which is, you know, which is good, good for you guys. Um, but, but it did set, it did set a stage, um, and it did remind people, I think, at the time, and people forget it very quickly, um, of of where where what the business of baseball and what the business of sport in America is is to make money. Um, it's it's not to just present fans with an opportunity to see teams or yeah. or sportsmen with an opportunity to play it's to make money and um the baseball strike of 94 um was literally the result of that because the the uh, antipathy from of the players to the owners at that point was such that that a strike was almost almost uh, inevitable you know when they couldn't negotiate a new collective bargaining agreement yeah there was um one other aspect to this so um the other the other 49ers player who kneeled at the time was Eric Reed, who uh, was also blackballed and didn't get a contract at the start of last season. But then eventually the Carolina Panthers suffer enough injuries and have a progressive enough new owner who's like, yeah, of course we'll take this guy, put him on a contract for six months. He's now signed a 22 million three-year deal and he's getting his his uh, the top 10, I think it's the 11th highest paid safety in the NFL he's going to be next season. So fair play to him. He's getting a contract close enough commensurate with with his talents but it was interesting that that contract was signed two weeks ago so it seemed almost as if he's also part of this collusion case so it seemed almost as if the owners knew this was coming and they were ready to sign Eric Reed. does it mean now that the owners will be also ready to sign Colin Kaepernick because he can clearly do a job to make a team better yeah, well, we've been saying that for two years. Um, you know, it's it's been obvious that he's better than a lot of people who are in the league and been signed. It's an interesting. It's an interesting dilemma. Uh, Reed, you know, the 
Panthers needed Reed when they signed him. They, they'd had injuries and, and they, they had to fill that spot. It wouldn't have happened under Jerry Richardson, the previous owner. Um, I'm convinced of that. And funnily enough, Kaepernick's agent put out a, a little floater over the weekend that the two teams he thought were most likely to sign him were either the Patriots or the Panthers. Um, I can't see the Patriots signing him um, because although it, it it makes a certain amount of sense <laughs> um, in that Brady Brady is going to be 42 and, and whatever. But Cam Newton's coming off a shoulder injury, um, an operation in the offseason. Kaepernick is a relatively similar player to Cam Newton in terms of his skill set. And it, it would make sense for the Panthers to sign him as, you know, as at least a temporary replacement and possibly a long term replacement if the surgery um doesn't work out. And the Patriots are an interesting case too, because Kraft is a relatively liberal quote unquote owner, um, you know, in terms of causes that he's supported and, and, and he's a democratic party back, but he's also a friend of Trump's and he was a a donor to Trump as well. And on a kind of personal basis, um, you know, which was true of Tom Brady as well. You know, they, they knew Trump personally, they'd been golfing with him, that kind of stuff. And, and that kind of uh, loyalty trumped, so to speak, um, their pullet their or at least Kraft's natural political inclination. I don't know what Brady's natural political inclination is, although we, we seem to know what Giselle's was. So that's more <laughs> probably more important. Yeah, I, she I, doesn't get to vote though in the elections. I don't think I could <laughs> see Bill Belichick deciding that he has enough reason to sign somebody like Kaepernick, and that they have a package of of plays for him over an eighteen month period that will help to prolong. Brady, that like, you know, not that Brady's coming out, but that like, maybe Brady's coming out on second down sometimes or third down. I can't see Brady agreeing to that, but you can just see somebody like Belichick going, yeah, I can do this because I want yeah. to. And I'm in a situation yeah. where um, I'm- Although Bill, I think Bill is probably more conservative than Kraft or Brady um, by nature. And, and um, you know, he grew up at a military, you know, his father was coaching at the Naval Academy. Um, uh, my my impression of Bill politically is that he's he's pretty far on the right. Um, so I'm not sure he would want, want to do that. And I'm not sure Brady, who plays virtually every snap, mm. even in games where they where they're, you know, well ahead, and you would think resting a 41 year old might be a good idea to, you know, avoid injury or whatever. Um, it's, it's an intriguing idea. You think of when at the end of the Super Bowl, when they went to that um, two tight ends, two running backs, and then spread them all out. And Brady was alone in the pocket. Imagine if that were Kaepernick alone in the pocket. All of a sudden, you have to be aware of the fact that he might take off and run, and it's going to slow your pass rush down even more than it, than it does um, in reality. So you know, it, it's a very intriguing idea, but it's one that, that I just can't see happening. Well, then yeah. the last thing is obviously the Ravens, who have finally given up on the Joe Flacco experiment, who do have a quarterback who will run the ball and who will run the ball as well as Colin Kaepernick. Maybe a bit better than Colin Kaepernick. Who knows? But like, it would make a lot of sense now to to stick him in there, unless unless you fear that you're going to freak out your second year player by having this veteran on the sideline who could replace him at any point. Yeah, um, I, I think that's probably the case. They have uh, Robert Griffin, RG three backing him up right now who's another another similar uh quarterback in the in the sense or at least he was before he he hurt his knee in 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 running ability um but the 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 other place i think would be a good place for him to land would be right down the road in washington because washington with josh jackson uh ran an offense which was very similar to what kaepernick ran in san francisco and 
he could do that better than Josh Jackson. And that was when, when, when they signed Josh Jackson and he started to play, everybody said the same thing. Oh, we can't sign Kaepernick for X or Y reasons. You've just signed a guy who's exactly like Kaepernick, only not as good, yeah. um, you know, and, and not as experienced. And, and so Washington and Carolina would both, to me, make a lot of sense as places for him to land. And, um, you know, and John Elway, who who would never sign him, but I mean, given what Elway's doing with quarterbacks, it would make a lot of sense for to put him in Denver and, and give him a shot there. Um, and if Gary Kubiak were still involved in the offense, he'd be a great fit for that too. Yeah, no, for sure. Mike, great stuff. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, anytime, guys. Thank you. It's Mike Carlson with some thoughts on uh, the Colin Kaepernick situation, which appears to be drawing to a close, and hopefully we'll see him back in the NFL sooner rather than later because he's unbelievably exciting when he's playing well. Yeah, it's interesting that he says that it's the settlement, the draw is basically a concession of blackballing. Are, are NFL owners the type of people who would get more empowered by that or actually feel liberated to go and sign Colin Kaepernick because oh, of that? Oh, now it's, now it's done. Now it's like... So they agreed to collude and then they're like, oh, we never did that. Now that, now that he can actually help the team, I think that there will be a market for services. Yeah, maybe I'm just being extremely cynical that after the fact they might be so stubborn to the fact that there was, there was no collusion going on. We definitely just didn't sign him because of his lack of ability. And we're still not going to sign him. That's what I mean. Yeah, except they signed Eric Reid when they needed him. That was so. Uh, he was like lower profile because obviously he wasn't the quarterback, but his teammates right there beside him, protesting every step of the way. But like the Eric Reid thing, if Eric Reid is signed and Colin Kaepernick isn't, like I mean, that just strengthens their position in the fact that Colin Kaepernick just is not good enough to play in the NFL. Yeah, except then you look at all the crap quarterbacks he can. Also, NFL owners want to win. Yeah, all right, that's pretty much all we got time for this morning on uh, OTBM. Keep an eye out on our YouTube channel and on offtheball.com for all your sport today. Off the Ball is back on the radio tonight from 7 o'clock. We're back tomorrow morning from 7.45 a.m. with an amazing piece for you tomorrow. Two legends, nine-time All-Ireland winner Jack, Jackie Tyrrell and awfully Seamus Darby. You did this piece? I did. You talked to Seamus Darby? I did. Uh, you, I, you I, did actually descri- I actually described him as a legend in the piece. Yeah. Uh, he's loved Dan Kerry. He's actually... I think people are kind of taken aback by the fact that he's a very nice man, that he's not this evil uh, man who uh, kind ruined of your dreams. ruined our dreams. He's actually quite a nice man. Very nice man, in fact. Extremely nice man who happened to score a very, very good goal, which was a foul. Uh, we're going to talk Champions League, obviously. The uh, latest in rugby and Chelsea Manchester United in the FA Cup. It is an amazing week of sport after um, what was actually, it turns out, after this show, we've decided. Not a bad weekend as well. Good luck. So, if you like this, you'll probably also like OTB AM, Ireland's only sports breakfast show. Subscribe to the OTB AM podcast stream or catch the show live on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook or offtheball.com every morning from 7.45am. Listener.